Welcome to New Life Church, everybody. My name is Jeff Baker. Glad to have you guys here with us. If you would, go ahead and find a seat. That would be amazing. Hey, I want to welcome everybody that's here at our Kearney campus, whether you're in our east or our west venue. And I also want to welcome those that are worshiping with us in our North Platte campus. It's an exciting day. We're going to continue our current teaching series entitled, I Love My Church. So here's your big moment on three. You get a cheer if you love your church. Ready? One, two, three. Yeah, yeah. I hope, I hope that the East Venue and North Platte could hear that right through the mic, how much the West Venue of our Carney campus loves their church. It's exciting. Hey, listen, there's a lot of reasons to love your church. Seriously. Number one, God loves it, right? God loves it. So, man, we should love it. Um, God's the one that's doing great things uh, in this church and through this church, and he's doing it in you, and he's doing it through you. And so I want to encourage you, man, take advantage of everything that God's given you here at this church, and also figure out how you can participate in this church as well, so that together, man, we just make it a bright, shining beacon of hope for the world to see, uh, to see Jesus changing lives. Hey, we've been asking you guys to make some videos about how you love your church, and many of you have done that. And I want to say thank you so much for doing it. I want to give you just a snapshot of some of those videos that have been coming in um, on social media and been emailed to us as well. So, hey, look, kick back, take a listen to some of New Life's very best as they tell us about how they love their church. Check I this love out. my church because the donuts. I love my church because I hear good news about Jesus. I love my church because it's diverse. love our church because it encourages us to get connected. Nice hairdryers. I love my church because I was really looking for a place to reconnect with God and I feel like New Life was very welcoming and supportive and helping me to do so. And I love my church because I found a life group that made me feel at home. And, and we, we love, love our church because it strengthened our friendship, friendship and helped us create new ones. I love my church where it's all about relationship with Jesus. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That is awesome. I love the ending. Yes, right? It's like the exclamation mark at the end of the sentence. Uh, well, listen, guys, today we're going to continue that uh, teaching series, and I love my church, and we've got some fantastic stuff planned for you today. Uh, I'm not going to be speaking today. However, our uh, campus pastor from our North Platte campus, Pastor Dave, is going to be coming to share God's word with us today as we continue this teaching series, I Love My Church. So would you put your hands together, please, and welcome our very own campus pastor, Dave. Come on, Dave. Right on. Thank you. Take it away, man. All right. Will do. How many of you are excited to be at church today? It's awesome. It's awesome. This is one of my favorite moments of the week, every single moment, or every single week, whether I'm at the, the North Platte campus, which we've, we've kind of playfully nicknamed the Wild West venue, uh, or here at the Kearney campus. It's just a great day to worship God. So before we get started, though, today, I want to I just pause for a moment. He wouldn't have said this himself, but our lead pastors, Jeff and Kim Baker, celebrated their 30th anniversary this week, and I just want to celebrate them. 
I know that I'm not alone in just appreciating them, the way they love God, the way they love people, and the leadership that they bring to our church. So thank you guys for being who you are. And, and here's to, you know, 30 more or 40 more or 50 more. We'll see what God has planned for you. Uh, but as Pastor Jeff said, we're in a teaching series called I Love My Church. And I'm not going to lie, I was super excited to get asked to speak today because I love my church. In fact, and I try not to sound too like prideful or boastful, uh, but when I talk to people about our church, I let them know this is the church that I would attend if I wasn't on staff. If I wasn't one of the pastors, this is where I would choose to worship God. And so it's an honor to, to be with you today. If you have maybe missed one or two of the last Sundays, then I would encourage you to go back to mynewlifechurch.com where you can catch up on those messages. In week one, we were talking about how we should love our church because Jesus loves his church. So much so that that's the only thing he's focusing on between now and when he returns is building his church and then last week, we were talking about the importance of connecting at your local church, getting plugged in. And that's where the hair dryers come from. If you want to know more about the hair dryers, go watch last week's message. All right. But today, we're here to talk about serving, to love our church, to love one another by serving. And so that's where we're going today. I want you to think about some times where you've gone out to eat to a nice restaurant where, you know, the hostess takes you over to your table and within a few moments, you're greeted by your server. Now, when we, when we first meet our server, all of a sudden, right then and there, we start doing something that's critical. We start judging them, all right? We're judging them on two things. What's their attitude and are they attentive? Because attitude and attentiveness are everything when it comes to serving, if you've got a server with a poor attitude, it makes a big difference on your experience at the restaurant. You know, have you ever been at a restaurant where the server comes over and you just immediately know before he even says anything that he would love to be anywhere else on the earth but here serving you? His body language shows it. His facial expressions show it. And then when he does open his mouth, he says something like, man, I can't wait till I get out of here. Or I just, I, I, I can't wait to get out of this place, all right? And you're like, dude, we're about to order pancakes. It's, it's breakfast, all right? You've been here 30 minutes. But we've also had the opportunity to be served really well by a, a server that has a great attitude. That comes over and, you know, before he or she opens her mouth, you can tell there's some passion for what they do. They enjoy what they do. They come over, they're energetic, and, and they're excited to get to know you a little bit so they can meet your needs. They can find out what it is that you need from them in order to have a great experience at their restaurant. And likewise, attentiveness is important. You've all probably experienced going to a restaurant where you sat all meal and never got your water refilled. Or they had messed up your order and the server didn't come over and check to see if there was anything he or she could do to, you know, make things right. But if we've got an attentive server, it makes all the difference in the world. Because really, by human nature, we want people to look after us. We want people to care about us. We want people to notice us. So if we've got a server that's attentive then that, man, that makes our experience great because our, our glass never goes below half full of water. They're there to fill it up. Or if they've made a mistake uh, on, our, on our meal, they're going to be right there to do what they can to make it right. So servers with great attitudes and attentiveness are infectious. 
They have such a large impact on our experience at a restaurant. And it takes this great attitude and attentiveness to be a great server. One without the other isn't going to cut it. They might be the nicest person in the world to you, but if they ignore you for most of your meal, they're not going to help improve your experience. So one without the other isn't enough. And this is true really of any kind of server, whether you're talking about at a restaurant Maybe you're thinking of a real estate agent that's trying to help you find the right house to buy. It could be your nurse while you're staying at the hospital for a moment. It could be your car salesman as you're trying to pick out the right car. If they they don't have the right attitude and they're not attentive to your needs, they're going to fail you. It also comes into play when we talk about a husband or a wife and their ability to serve. What's their attitude and are they attentive? So if, if... attitude and attentiveness matters in all of these other areas of serving, then it definitely matters as Christians. It is true of Christians that we must have a great attitude and attentiveness towards non-Christians. Otherwise, how will they ever be drawn to Christ? If we have a poor attitude while we're around them, or we don't really care about their needs, we're not attentive to their needs, we're really just there to, to talk about ourselves, how will we ever draw somebody closer to Christ. Because if you think about it, non-Christians, where do they get most of their views of Christ? It's from the Christians that they've interacted with. So my hope is that we can be a church that will draw people closer to Christ through our attitudes and our attentiveness. If we aren't attentive, then someone else or something else is going to step in and get their attention. One of the reasons I love my church and why I'm excited to be able to preach in this series is that we are a church that cares tremendously about reaching non-Christians in our communities. So let's consider what is possible today when we as God's church serve with great attitudes and are attentive. The first thing serving does is it takes the focus off of ourselves and places it elsewhere. Simply put, serving saves us from selfishness. If we're being honest, we, we can admit that we, as you know, humans, by nature, tend to be selfish people. I read an article recently that said that in a conversation, the average person talks about themselves 60% of the time. And if that conversation happens to take place on social media, Facebook, Twitter, whatever, they talk about themselves 80% of the time. With some of you that are, you know, really social media savvy, that might, you know, be an indicator of why there are so many arguments and so much disunity when it comes to social media. People talk about themselves so much. So, so many of our thoughts, our words and actions are focused more on ourselves and what can benefit us, what are our needs. But God's will for our lives is something very, very different. We see this in Philippians chapter 2. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and, and he's really trying to help them see what is the attitude and the attentiveness that we should have towards others. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. This right here is the blueprint for serving. God desires for us to be more interested in others and to show that interest by serving them. When we take an interest in others, what's that do for them? It lets them know that they were noticed. It lets them know that we care about them. It lets them know that they're valued. 
that they matter. When I was a, a second grade teacher, one of the most challenging things for me over the, the course of my teaching career was motivating students to write. At a young age, in first and second grade, they haven't had a lot of experience with it. It's something that is challenging for most of them. And so it would be a struggle of mine to get them motivated. I knew if I could motivate them, then 90% of the work is done. Okay? But there was a shift that happened for me late in my teaching career. I taught for nine years. And in the last couple of years, writing was very different. And here was the small shift that I made. I would give students time to kind of write about whatever they wanted to write about. If there was, you know, a topic that we needed to write on, then I'd give it to them. But they were allowed to, to write about whatever mattered to them. And then we would stop and I would let a writer share with a group or potentially the whole class what they had written. And as soon as they were done, the class did two things. The first was three or four students would simply just raise their hand and say, I loved when you said this, or I heard that you said this. I thought it was super, it was a great idea when, when you re- read this part. And all that was doing was saying, here's what you, what you said. Let me be a mirror for you and reflect back what you just shared with us. Then the second thing would be that a few students would ask questions and they would just say, well, what did you mean by this? Or what happened next after you did this? Now, the writer didn't get to answer any of those questions just then. We'd stop right there. They'd go back to their seats, and that writer was on fire. That writer would sit and write the rest of the day if you'd let him or her. And why? Because we'd served. We'd let them know that you matter. Your voice has been heard. How do do you know that your voice has been heard? Well, we reflected back what you said to us. And we thought about it enough that we had questions that we wanted to ask you. And so all it was, we were, I was training the rest of the class to become servers by listening. Now, many of you, if you think, if I was to ask you, who's the best listener in your life? Who's the person you go to when times are tough or when you've got something that you want to share? The person that most likely comes to your mind is the one that serves you best when they're listening to you. They're not sitting there trying to think about what they're going to say back to you. They're not sitting there trying to tell you or think about what they disagree with what you've just said, but yet they're there to just listen to you and understand you. They're serving you when they do that. Serving requires us to deny ourselves, to deny our will, our expectations, and focus them on someone else. And when we do this, God allows us, or we give God the space to work through us to make an impact for his kingdom. Recently, about four weeks ago, I got to be a part of a team of 12 men from New Life that went down to Honduras to build a church, or rather to build a building for an existing church that didn't have a place to meet. We were in a small village just outside of the city, San Pedro Sula, and it's hot, it's humid, and we go down there with the expectation that in four days, we're going to you know, partner with a few locals if they show up. And we're going to put this building together so that a church has a place where they can meet. So we've got a, we've got a picture here. You see, we, we walked up on the work site the first day, and this is what we saw. You've got some dirt that had been moved out of the way. You can see on the back wall the, the block layers had kind of to start it, uh, to build it. And over the first two days, we put up 
the trusses, we got the roof on the building. All the while, the walls are starting to come up on all four sides. And, and we leave the second day feeling pretty good about ourselves. We're thinking, this is incredible. And I'll never forget, our leader, Stan Schmidt, sat us down at dinner. And he said, hey guys, I know that we came down with the mission of building this church and that's, that's right, that, that's a good mission to have. But here's the deal. If we want to, I think we can finish this tomorrow. Instead of four days, I bet we can do this in three. But here's the key. We're not going to go in and get in the way of the local men that are block layers by trade, that are professional block layers. We're not going to get in their way and try to show them how to lay block. We'd be fools. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to serve them. We came to serve anyway, so this is how we're going to serve. We're going to make sure that they always have the block they need to be laying it, to to build these walls. We're going to make sure that they've got all the mortar that they need, that they never empty their bucket and are sitting there waiting for more mortar, or worse yet, having to climb down off the scaffolding to go get more. Our job is to serve them. Our job is to keep them supplied. And so what happened on the third day? We finished the building. And it was incredible. We've got a picture here after the church dedication of our team of 12 men. And there's a bunch of different local men and women and children that we've been working with and developing relationships with over the the course of a few days. And here it is. A building that they said would have taken them 15 to 20 years to save the money for and then to build. We helped them build in a matter of three days. It was incredible. And it was all because... We shifted our attention away from building the church to serving. And it didn't matter what what, that required of us, we were going to serve. And so it was great leadership on Stan's part, and it's something that I'll never forget. Serving really isn't about you, but what God can do through you. If you've never been on a mission trip, I can't recommend it enough. I can't encourage you enough to go on a mission trip. If new life is your home, you're going to have multiple opportunities to go. And I want you to consider your involvement in missions. But aside from missions, we have tons of serving opportunities around new life. We believe that our church is going to be healthiest with a serving culture of attend one and serve one. If you're a part of a a greeting team, attend one, serve one means you're going to attend one service and you're going to serve at the next one or vice versa. If you don't really like interacting with people or talking, you can be a part of our tech team ministry. And that may look like you're going to serve one week and then you're going to attend the next week. But it's important to be a part of serving. If you're not currently serving on Sunday mornings or, or, yeah, Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, uh, you need to know you're messing out and it's so easy to get involved. You go to our website, mynewlifechurch.com, you click give and then select serving opportunities And then we have a short form to fill out. What's your name? What's a way that we can contact you? And then basically, what are you interested in doing? Takes you maybe two minutes to fill it out. And then after that, a ministry leader will follow up with you. And as you serve, I guarantee you'll find yourself loving your church more and more. We've said that that Christ loves his church, so we should love his church. Well, Christ served his church. So what's going to happen if we serve our church? We're going to love our church more and more. And really, we have all of these opportunities for three key reasons. One, it brings glory to God when we serve. Number two, we meet the needs of others. 
which God has called us to do. And third, it gives you the opportunity to activate your faith and to grow spiritually. Now, the second concept that that we need to grab a hold of today is that serving is best done in your sweet spot. Serving is best done where you just find that perfect place to serve. Now, I'm not saying the perfect church, okay, but the perfect place for you to serve. You know, at New Life, we believe that everyone has a gift to share. We don't believe that some have a gift to share or that someone is supposed to have every gift to share, but it's everyone has a gift to share. We find this in Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. So it is with Christ's church. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is encouraging others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You see, as a church, we're dependent upon one another. If we want a healthy, life-giving church, we depend on one another. We function at our highest capacity as a church when each of us activates the gifts that God has given us, and we serve with them. Notice, Paul didn't say one person has all of those gifts, but he's saying each of you have been uniquely gifted by God, and when we pool those together, that's when we can serve at our highest capacity Verse 6 said, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. That he doesn't expect one person to do it all. In fact, if that's you, if you feel like you have this pressure to do it all, or that you're involved in all sorts of different ministries and you find yourself low on passion, or you find yourself feeling burnt out, it's probably because you're trying to serve in areas where God hasn't gifted you. So how do you discover your sweet spot? How do you find this place that was tailor-made for you and your gifts? John Maxwell is a leadership guru. If you've never heard of John Maxwell, maybe he's, uh, that name doesn't mean anything to you. I'd encourage you to Google him because the guy is so full of wisdom. I was watching an interview with him this week, and he was talking about passion. This guy just, I mean, in about... 25 minutes said more, uh, shared more wisdom than, than I've ever accumulated. You know, it's, it's crazy listening to him. But he goes into this, this interview with passion and he says, I want you to know that passion is not just excitement. Passion isn't just being up in front of people, being charismatic. That passion's far more than that. That it's something that is a deep emotion or a very strong desire that you just can't get away from. And he defined it like this, when it comes to finding your sweet spot, that you need to look at what causes what he called high passion, and where do you find your low passion? Now, high passion is something that brings you an incredible amount of joy. 
It's something when you're a part of it, man, it just, it excites you, yes, but it fills you with joy, which is something deeper than just excitement. The low passion isn't something that just means you're drained of passion. Instead, it means it's something that stirs your emotions in a way that perhaps makes you cry. That can be something negative. Maybe you see some social injustice in our world. Or maybe you see abuse or neglect. And you get passionate to try to make a difference. It's something that brings you to tears. It, it might be an um, incredible encounter with God during worship. It's not always a negative thing, but it's something that just stirs you emotionally. Let me give you a couple of examples. For me, the high passion for me, comes when I get to be around men who are striving to become the spiritual leaders that God's called them to be. Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron just as a friend sharpens a friend. That is my high passion. When I see someone that wants to chase after the call that God's placed on their life, that, that gets me excited. That brings joy to my life. Experiencing musically gifted people using their gifts to pursue God gives me passion. Sometimes I get to be a part of those moments where I'm actively singing or playing guitar. Other times, as just today, this morning, I'm able to just sit back and, and take in the gifts of a worship team that God has created and anointed to lead others and inspire others. That gets me jacked up. Jacked up for Jesus. Seeing the lost come to know Christ brings me great joy. Those are types of high passion for me. But the low passion for me are things that I'm going to try to communicate without crying. Children growing up without a father stirs me. It connects with me deeply. Music that speaks to the brokenness of the people or communicates Christ's unfailing love for me. Regardless of where I've been and the things I've done and the distance that maybe once separated Christ to me, when I hear about his love for me, that moves me. When I encounter marriages in crisis, when I see that the enemy is sitting there just trying to chip away at what God brought together, that moves me. Now, once I've identified high passions and low passions, what I've had to do is I've looked what are the common links between those two? Are there common links? And I found my sweet spot when I came across common links there. There are a couple common themes for me. One is investing in men to see them become spiritual leaders so that children don't grow up without fathers, so that families can stay intact as the men grow into their role of being a spiritual leader. Music is another thing that is a common link for me. So it's no accident that I am filled with passion after spending a Tuesday night with our men's life group. And, and I said recently once in a wrap-up, women, um, this is the one time you're invited to come to our men's life group, is if you want to see an incredible group of guys that love one another and want to see them grow into everything that God's called them to be. This Tuesday night would be the only time we'll allow women there, Okay. But I'm also filled with passion during intense moments of worship. I'm in my sweet spot when I'm serving 
and exposed to these two things in particular. Now, there are other things that, that, yes, supply passion for me, but those are my main two. So what about you? What are you passionate about? What gets you fired up? What just cuts straight to your heart? What is it that can, that can make you weep? That can make you want to just do something? And fight off apathy. Well, here are a couple of questions that might help lead you to your sweet spot. The first one is this. What makes you feel like singing on the mountaintop? What is your high passion? Those things that just bring you great joy. If you know what that is, jot it down so you don't forget it. Second question. What stirs your emotions down in the valley? What stirs your emotions down in the valley? Because that's going to be your low passion. Once you've written those down, once you've had time to consider those, I'm going to guess you probably have three to four high passions, and you have three to four low passions. And then you stop and you look, okay, what are the common links there? What's a common theme between something up here and something down here? And when you recognize that, that is most likely your sweet spot. Most likely God's gifted you in that area. And that's why it brings passion, or that's why it stirs something up inside of you, because you recognize that you have been gifted to maybe do something about it. Serving in your sweet spot does two things. It utilizes your God-given gifts, and it helps sustain your passion. It will keep your passion at a high, consistent level. If you're somebody that has been serving all over the place, and you're feeling drained, and you don't feel like you've got passion Maybe step back and figure out, what's my sweet spot? Less is more sometimes, and I need to figure out exactly where God wants me to serve. Lastly, the most critical thing that we have to grasp today is this, that serving makes you more like Jesus. If I asked you to raise your hands if you love Jesus, most of the hands across our three venues would would go up. There'd be a few that, that wouldn't because You're here, and you're just exploring who Jesus is, and that's awesome. We want you to be here. We want you to continue to explore Jesus and seek him here to see if you love him. But if I followed that up with a question that said, you know, are you living a life that looks like Jesus? Would you still be able to raise your hand? Because for me, Christianity isn't just about loving Jesus. Is that critical? Is that foundational? Absolutely. But we are called to grow beyond that to where our lives look like Jesus. And the world around us, the world around you, the the workplace that you step into, the neighborhood in which you live, needs more examples that look like Jesus. So you may be thinking, well, what does Jesus look like? What's his attitude? What's What's his attentiveness look like? We go back to Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then the next verse, Paul goes on to say, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What's the attitude of Christ? It's found in Matthew 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, serving at church is important because serving like Christ is more than just coming to church on Sunday morning and doing a task. Serving is not something you do, but it's who you are. 
As Christians, we're called to go beyond someone who serves and become a servant. We're serving as a foundational part of our identity. We're not called to be people who once in a while choose to serve, and that's one small piece of what we do, but it's who we are. Why did Jesus come to live on the earth? He came to serve his church because he loves his church and to provide us with the ultimate example of serving and sacrifice. So often when I think about the sacrifice of Jesus, I immediately go to the cross and I think of the sin that he took from my life and your life and he took it to the cross, he was killed, he was buried, and then God raised him from the dead. But if that's the only part of Jesus' story that we focus on, we miss out on another miracle. Matthew 20, 28 starts out by saying, for even the Son of Man came. That indicates that he left somewhere. Where did he leave? He left heaven. Think about that for a second. Jesus left heaven, the best place you and I will ever experience, to come down and to serve us, to serve you, to serve me. How many of you are like me and when you order pizza, the doorbell rings and you're like, do I really have to get off the couch to go answer the door? But yet Jesus left heaven for us. Not so that we could just come and shower him and he could be a king here on earth and and get all the earthly wealth that he could acquire. He came to serve and to sacrifice. So I ask you, what sacrifice are you willing to make? What inconvenience will you say yes to in order to serve? In closing today, thinking about this attitude and the attentiveness of Jesus, it leads me to where we see most of Jesus in the New Testament, or most of Jesus in the Bible. He's in the Old, but we get a a different perspective when he arrives on the scene in the New Testament. As you read through the New Testament, you see that Jesus had many encounters with large crowds. He'd He'd gather them, he'd speak to them, he'd meet their needs, he'd challenge them, he'd encourage them. He'd share stories in such a way that they could understand and they could relate, and he would speak truth to them. He would deposit truth into their lives that then had an expectation with it. After he was done speaking the truth, he would would say this to them. He would say, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. What would the impact be in Kearney, North Platte, our surrounding communities, if whoever's a part of this crowd, whoever calls new life home, fought off selfishness by serving? What would the impact be if our church was full of passionate people utilizing their God-given gifts to serve in their sweet spot? What would be the impact if, if each of us let the attitude and attentiveness of Jesus change us from people who serve to people who are servants? It's who we are. It's in our blood. And what impact would we have if we went from viewing serving as something we do to realizing that Christ followers, this is what we've been called to do. This is our life's mission. Let's dedicate our entire life to it. Jesus has set the example. Now it's up to us to go and do likewise. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. God, today we come to you with an attitude of thankfulness. We didn't deserve to have your son Jesus sent to earth to save us, but you sent him anyway because of your great love for us.
We'll thank, we're thankful for the life he lived, showing us what it means to be a true servant, what it means to sacrifice. We're thankful that you have uniquely gifted each of us, and you're calling us into your story with a part that we can play. Help us to identify where we can best utilize the gifts you've given us. May we utilize these gifts to glorify you, to work in harmony, to serve your church, to grow our love for your church, and to serve those who are not yet living for you. As we go into a time of worship, we seek to praise you and exalt your name. May the name of Jesus be lifted high in all three of our venues today. Because none of us would be here if it wasn't for you, Jesus. Making the most selfless act we've ever seen by leaving heaven to come and serve us. Serve us in all of our ugliness, all of our mess, all of our sin. To come and be the bridge back to you, God. So God, we ask that you would be with us as we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.